Welcome back to Coffee and Christ, episode 19. And we're going to be moving just a tiny bit fast. I'm going to mute. Are you? I'm, I'm not on mute. I'm not. I can't tell if you're on mute. It flashes. It flashes? Okay, we're fine. We're fine. I just kind of got a little scared for a second there. But we got a lot to cover. I don't know if we'll get to the end of the chapter because there is like 50 or so verses. So, But we're just going to jump right in. Verse 18. I'll pick up with reading. Hear them, the parable of the sower. This is in chapter 13. Awesome. Uh, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. That is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself but endures it for a while. And when tribulation or per- persecution arises on account of the world, of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what he has sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves, uh, it proves unfruitful. As for what is sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold and another sixty and another thirty. So we're not going to spend a lot of time here because Dylan went into detail last uh, episode more on it but I'm just going to run through it real quick the seed obviously here represents the word of God and the soil represents the heart um, if you have trouble following along or anything like that Luke gives a little more in, in depth explanation in this but the seed represents the spreading and the planting of the word of God in our hearts now you can understand the parable with four different types of stores and or four different types of people responding to the gospel um, so the first problem we see here is the is in the first condition is the heart so kind of just thinking in a real world scenario when you're talking to an unbeliever or you're studying with somebody and you can kind of tell that you're making some progress you can kind of see it in their face you know they have that aha moment or something like that and then all of a sudden their phone rings or all of a sudden someone comes in and asks them something or lunchtime's over, you know, something along those lines. You can see that, referring back to the Bible, that the bird took that seed that you that you were trying to plant, took it away. And this happens a, a bunch of times that we, I mean, I've noticed a couple of times, but, and then just, in, you jump in whenever you want to, but <clears throat> in the second condition, Without a root, there's no life. So faith in the word, in this case, is a merely external and temporary response that seems good right now. But as soon as they face a little challenge, a little tribulation, they all of a sudden, this is a lot of the times in new Christians, all of a sudden you kind of see that Christianity isn't as fun as what it seems. It takes some sacrifice along those lines. And then the third condition, the word... The world is a drain on our spiritual life. We have to work so hard sometimes to fight off our worldly desires and barely survive. And this causes us, like it says, to be unfruitful. And then finishing off with the fourth condition, what is the fruit of the plant? It is initially more seed, right? Because our job as Christians is to make more Christians. So if we're being fruitful, we're spreading that seed even more, just like that. And so now we're going to jump on to the next one, the parable of the weeds. You want to read? Yeah, read? I'll read a little bit. 
Starting in verse 24, it says, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your fields? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up uh, the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but be gather the wheat and put them into my barn. So just like the first one, the second parable has something to do with the kingdom and us becoming Christians and how we're providing for the kingdom and both have to do with sowing and growing. In literal terms, we're talking about recruiting people for Christians and then at the same time, the enemy or Satan is trying to limit us from doing that. And that could be limiting us internally or, or something along those lines. But there's a gap here where there's two more parables before Jesus goes on and explains the one that we just read. And so, you know, you can look at this two different ways. I've, I've always, I've seen this been taught two different ways. So the first way is the way that you just described it. As Satan comes in and, and tries to mess with our, mess with our mojo a little bit, I guess, when we're trying to share the gospel to other people. But it also looks at it this way. You know, when you noticed in verse 30, it says, Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. So think about it this way. You know, whenever you're invested in the world, and whenever you're, you choose worldly desires over what Christ would have you choose and all these things... There are no consequences, you know, and we we have a hard time with consequences because it's kind of like when you have a credit card. It, it's really easy to spend the money because it's not coming out of your pocket okay. immediately. But then when you get your Discover bill, I've been fighting that. Oh, man. It's like you I didn't do it that, much last I fought week. the young all the way through that, I think really? you noticed. But um, it's like when you, when you, like you said, a credit card. When you get the Discover bill is when you're like, oh, man, <laughs> now i got to pay the bill, you know. And so it's kind of the same way. You know, as people live their lives outside of Christ, really there's no consequences. And really in a roundabout way, right at this very moment, maybe it even is better, you know, because maybe they can you know, pour more time into their job. And then because they can do that, they can get more money and, and have a nicer car and have a nicer house and all these things. But when is the time of punishment for that type of lifestyle? The day of judgment. And people don't understand that because it's later. It's later. We don't have to worry about it. You know, no big deal. And that's kind of what he's saying here. He says, when the servant said, well, do you want us to go and gather up the root or the, the weeds? And the servant keeper said, no, let them grow together. And then when it's time for harvest, take the weeds first and burn them. And everything else, put into my barn. And so we don't don't see the consequences of our actions because it's later. And so that's how I've seen 
that be being taught two different ways. One way as in Satan saying, let's kind of mess with the flow of things here. But in another way of, you know, you can live a lavish lifestyle. You can live for the world and not live for God, which ultimately ultimately means you're living for Satan. Mm-hmm. But you'll never see the consequences of that until it's too late. it's too late to do anything about it. So that's a really powerful parable. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a fun phrase to say. Powerful, powerful parable. Powerful parable. <laughs> <laughs> powerful parable. Powerful parable. Okay, anyway. So, um, verse 31, I'll read through 33 here. Do it. It says, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the uh, garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the bird of the air can come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable, This kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. And so the mustard seed... I, have you ever seen a picture of a mustard yeah, seed? It's so, it's so cute. It's, it, it's so tiny. And yet it grows to about 10 to 12 feet tall. And that's incredible for something to go that small to that big. And again, Jesus is going to explain all of this and why it connects here in a second. And then, and then about the yeast. Yeast is a microscopic plant that is put into dough. And when it's put in an oven and it's baked, the heat allows the yeast to reproduce and expand. And so the dough expands, and that's how you get bread. And so that something that starts that small, in the end, you can't miss it. Like, you, you don't know yeast is in dough by seeing it. But you can see the the after effects of what's happening. You know this lump that's in front of you, the little lump of fluffy piece of bread, and that's that's what yeast makes that possible. And so Jesus kind of goes here. I'm going to pick up in 36 where he's going to explain all this. And he says, then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying. Uh, saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who has so the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The one who you can't hide it. it they already heard the beginning. <laughs> uh, uh, and the weeds are sown uh, of the by the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of the kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. And so, the one who sows is the most important part of the first one. It's it's him. It's Jesus. And you can notice the difference from the first parable and the second parable. Jesus is the sower, and he only sows good seed. And the bad seed is sown by the devil. And so when you kind of look at it, Jesus uh, kind of responds with, why those, why those in verse 27 have, who have received God and are Christians but don't produce good fruit? And that's something that you were kind of saying too, that sometimes we can get clouded and when we think that we're doing something good and or not think but we know that we're not successfully accomplishing that and then Jesus responds that it's kind of not his fault because obviously it's not Jesus's fault it's our fault because the enemy is at work and 
that kind of draws me to something else is how do we know who really is a Christian? Like we all go, we all sit in the pews and we all wear the title of Christians, but sometimes it's easy to, I'll do quotes, fake fruit because we all have something that we're good at and sometimes we don't use it. But other times we talked about this Sunday morning, if I'm not mistaken, that sometimes you can do fruit just to be seen by people and that's where kind of that parable also goes back and forth and because if you think about it it's a lot easier to act like the act like a christian instead of actually being a christian right and so uh, and you can fool people yeah. i mean you can fool people pretty well on your fruitfulness as a christian i guess you could simply say it but in reality the only person who truly knows how well of a Christian you are is yourself. Mm-hmm. And I don't care who, I don't care how close somebody is to you, you know, and it's your heart. Right. And we think we're really good at hiding it, but unfortunately, we're attempting to hide it from somebody who literally is impossible to hide anything from. Right. And the most important person that we should not hide things from. Yeah. And so that's, it, it's really easy, just like you said to attempt to produce fake fruit. And, you know, you can do, and I'm, this sounds really harsh. I mean, you can do all the good works in the world, but if you don't have the heart, if you're not doing it for the right reason, you don't have a heart to do it, then you should do, be doing it's it fake in the first fruit. place. It's fake. And guys, fake Christians, there's no room for them in heaven. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you've obeyed the gospel. If you're not a true Christian, then the water meant nothing. Mm. You were just getting wet. And so that's a scary thought, but basically that's what he's saying in this parable. You know, if you're living that way, unfortunately you're not going to reap the consequences until it's too late for you to do something about it. Mm. And so that's that should be a sobering thought for Christians um, but also a sobering thought for non-Christians who aren't who've not obeyed the gospel yet. Well, let's make sure I know what I'm doing. Let's make sure that that my heart's in the right place. And because truly, your Christian life is a personal walk mm-hmm. between you and God. And so that that's a sobering thought. And then in verse 44, it says, "The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has." And buys the field, so that's I like that. It's very simple, mm-hmm. um, but what it's saying here is, you know, heaven is like this treasure hidden in a field, and so this man goes and sells everything he has just to go and buy the field so he can have it. And th- that that brings that that should bring a question up to Christians. It brought a question to my ears um, when I was reading this the other night. Do we? Do we treat our Christian life as a treasure? I mean, sometimes sometimes we do, sometimes we we don't. All the time. But I mean, this guy took it so far that, oh man, there is something in this field that's amazing, so amazing that I'm gonna go sell everything I have, and just so I can buy it and so I can have it. And he was excited to do that, and it wasn't, oh, I have to go and sell all my possessions. It was because I want to because it's so amazing. What's in this field's awesome. Yeah, and you know. It's hard for us to always be that way. 
But that's the way God expects us to, expects us to be. Mm-hmm. You know, do we treat our Christian life as a as a treasure or not? Yeah. And then so, what I kind of get is that he doesn't. He just finds the treasure. He like stumbles upon it. So it's kind of like uh, again, all these parables are referring to what being a Christian is like. And so, what kind of aspect is he describing? Jesus is describing here in this parable. And the treasure must be something you can't discover now. And now, but can't have it now. And something you find in the field of the world, if you could say, it changes the entire course of your life. Like he says, he, he goes and he sells everything to buy the land. And some things you have to sac- sacrifice, perhaps your whole life for it, or the value is so great that you can't just let it pass by. And so, what is it? In? You know, what is the treasure? And it's where it says it right there, wherever your heart is. Wherever, that's wherever you're going to lay your treasure. So Jesus knew that Satan will tempt us to stay in the condition of the soils, where in the third soil specifically, where we want to be in it, but we can't because we we don't want to produce that fruit because we want to be still in the world. And so God kind of makes incentives now. He's like, well, if you get, if you go and you sacrifice this stuff, He offers us a reward in heaven. And that, that, but we have to sacrifice something to get that. See, we can't live in the world and still receive heaven. We have to sacrifice our worldly desires to get there. And so the treasure is in heaven. You know, remember this place is not our home and our home is with God in heaven. And so now you know what the treasure is and you're excited to see it, but you know what now? Um, are you willing to sacrifice some things of the earth? Um, to obtain this because what you do now matters what you do right this second matters of where your eternal destination may be and so to keep reading on in the next one it's the next parable is much like it again the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it so like I said, it's very similar. It's hard to look. You can easily loop them together sometimes. But there is a small key difference is the first parable, the man was not looking. He was just kind of like walking in a field. And then he stumbled upon it almost. And in this one, the man is seeking whatever he's finding. He's, he's, wanting, he's wanting to find more pearls. And so Jesus says when he finds this pearl, he knows its value. And he gives everything for it. And... The difference is the attitude, almost, the lifestyle. See, the second one, I think, is the lifestyle of a believer. It's who has their mind set on opportunities to serve. Like when we find that one person that hasn't hasn't maybe been or hasn't known Christ or been to church, and we kind of find that little opportunity, I would say, we stick to it and we try to find more because you kind of get on a spiritual high. And so this one here, he finds the pearl and drops everything and jumps on the pearl. Tries to really bring it home, I guess you would say. And so, you know, whenever I was a kid, this made me think of this. Um, whenever I was a kid, me and my sister, we looked at money at very different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, Carrie was a saver, and she would save and save and save and save, and then she would have a bunch of, you know, she would go and buy a bunch of small things. You know, if I want this shirt, I'm going to get the shirt. If I want, you know, this pair of shoes, I'm going to get the shoes. Well, I was different. Even even now, 
I, I'm still this way. You know, Carrie would save and save and then buy a lot of small stuff. You know, if I, if I see something that I want, but if it's expensive or, or whatever, then I'm okay with saving all my money up and then buying one thing. And I'm content with that. You know, as a kid, it would I'd save all my money up. And at one time, I, I was like in seventh grade, but the Kindle came out. <gasps> I had one of those. Oh, yeah. I asked for it for Christmas, and I oh, never yeah. read a single book out of it. I think I read like two. It's but sitting in my I room. saved up a lot of money. Mine was the old one with the keyboard on it. It wasn't a touch screen. I like those, though. Dad has one of those, and they're really cool. Mm-hmm. I like the way they look. That's I why I wanted one. I lost mine. I don't know where it's at. That's why I wanted one. And then yeah. I got, like, the new one. Well, that's what that's just for example. Like they came out, it was a, the hot new thing, and so I saved all my money up and bought one because that was cool. And my mom told me, I'll never forget this. She said, "You know, it's okay sometimes to not put all your eggs in one basket." And so this guy, why I'm saying that, it, it, there's a reason. But he's, as it says in verse 46, he is a merchant in search of fine pearls, plural. Mm-hmm. He's going to buy multiple, but then he finds one, and then sells all that. He, or no, he went and sold all that he had just to buy one. Right. And so, as Christians, we should be putting all our eggs in one basket. You know, all of our eggs should be going towards Christ. Mm-hmm. Everything that we have, everything, all of our energy, everything is to funnel into one thing. And that's Christ. You can't pick and choose. You can't say, oh, well, I want some of this and some of that. It's either all Christ or nothing. That's what we as Christians need to be about. And then if you channel all your energy into Christ, put all of your eggs into one basket, Christ, and surround your life around that, then, yes, though you're putting all your eggs into one basket... You're still, if, if you're flowing things out of it mm-hmm. and you're building your life around Christ, then you will see the kingdom, kingdom of heaven. I'm struggling Bless over you. here. Struggling. Bless you. But oh, that was cool. I just thought about that whenever you were reading that. Yeah. Can we jump back real quick to the parable of the mustard seed? Mm-hmm. I okay. was going to because you missed a big part of it. Well, no, you, you get reading really fast. I'm oh, sorry. I thought you were ready to move on. Oh, no, 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 no. I wanted to jump back real quick because the other two parables talk about kind of how small and insignificant the kingdom was at the time or what it seemed like at the time. Mm-hmm. Because, like like you said, I mean, it started, started with 12 people, 12 regular guys who carried the message of the gospel. And then after death, there's only 11. I mean, there's only 11 after Judas's death. And that doesn't seem like much of a movement, just like a small mustard seed or just like the yeast and dough. But in the time, it became the biggest thing on the planet. It, you, you couldn't miss it, like the small mustard seed. And it seemed to grow huge, and you couldn't, you couldn't miss it. And so in verse 33, he kind of reminds us of our roles. <laughs> Get it, because it talks about yeast. <laughs> I didn't even mean Our to do that. <laughs> okay, so we're like yeast hidden in these rolls that <laughs> you could do this. I have faith in you. Uh, I'm just. This is all on the fly. Um, mustard seed for you. Yes. That okay. So we're hidden in the dough that we are to reproduce, so that 
we might grow the kingdom of heaven like yeast grows the grows the dough. And so don't look at me. Grows the dough. Don't look Sorry, at me you I'm said saying. grows the dough. I like that. <laughs> and see, the enemy wants to rob us of producing that. Rob and us of the dough. Rob us of the dough. <laughs> and so he tries to prevent us from producing that fruit. And that goes back to all these parables on how they're all connected. Anywho, that's all I have to say. Well, think about it, too. I was going to say this earlier. Roll the dough. You know, <laughs> you think about the mustard seed being so small and insignificant. You know, and that's what unfortunately people view Christianity as sometimes you know oh that's just it's not a big deal it's just a small thing in somebody's life and and if if you understand how big it is or how big it's supposed to be it would change their perspective a lot Mm -hmm. you know because you plant a a mustard seed then yeah it may be small for a while but then it's going to explode and be huge like the tree that fell in my front yard this weekend that's the, it's gone so, it's gone it's though gone. I, w- I drove up and it's just disappeared but um but yeah it the mustard seed's awesome <clears throat> if you've never studied about it do because i mean it's 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 cool okay. it's really cool do you want to try to finish out the chapter um it's much of the same yeah all right i'm going to read Picking up in verse 47, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into the containers but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this parable is much, much like the parable of the weeds, just in a different... Um, analogy but it's it's the same premises of uh, we're mixed into we live amongst sinners and well, I won't even say sinners but people who are not in Christ and at the end of the age we're going to be separated and we're going to get our reward and they're also going to get there if you want to call it reward too right. and so and then continuing on um, verse 51 have you understood all these things They said to him, Yes, and he said to them, The kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out his treasures, what is new and what is old. So, sorry, I got my... Are you reading the ESV? What are you reading? Yeah, ESV. Mine's... I thought it was different, but it's not. Let's focus on verse 52, okay? So he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out his treasure what is new and what is old. And what I focus on here is, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom. How does one become trained for the kingdom? What do you think? Oh, you! I didn't know if that was rhetorical or not. No, I was asking. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> so, trained for the kingdom. I don't know. I feel like you reading the Bible and you going to church and actually studying and listening intently, I think you're training yourself. Well, that's what... I, I don't like the wording that's used yeah. there. Because what that... Gosh, it doesn't take somebody who's trained in order to get to heaven. Right. You know, a lot of people think that, oh, I can't... I don't know enough about God and I don't get to be in heaven. There's no elite group, as yeah. the Puritans would believe. Right. There's no elite group of who gets to go to heaven and who's not. So, training for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out his treasure, what is new and what is old. You know, obviously, masters of houses had a lot of clout. 
back in the day. <laughs> you know, you ever heard my dad use that word? I've never heard Jay he use that word. He likes to use the word clout. But, I, I'm interested. you know, the master of the house had a lot of clout. Right. And had a lot of treasure and had all these things. And he's saying, you know, if you're, if you're trained for the kingdom of heaven, you know, you're also like the master of the house. You have a treasure, though you can't touch or feel it right now. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a treasure much like what the masters of houses had right. at this Clout. time. Clout. Clout. And so we'll continue on. I'm going to... You want me to read? Yeah, you, you go read. ahead. Yes. So, and when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they will be astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is it not this carpenter's son? Is it not uh, his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are all not... And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to him, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. He did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. So one thing, obviously Jesus gets rejected. Mm -hmm. A big, big surprise. Because he's in his hometown they know his mom and dad, all these things, and they're questioning, and they keep questioning. But, you know, all of these parables have what in common? What do all these parables have in common? They're explaining to you how valuable the kingdom of heaven is. Mm-hmm. Why do you think he said that in, I don't know, one, two, three, four, like six parables? Mm-hmm. Right. And he basically was restating the same thing. What does that tell us? If Jesus is repeating himself, it's important. Then it must be important. Right. And to Christians, we need to understand how important the kingdom of heaven is. And to non-Christians, people who are not in Christ, you need to understand exactly what you're missing. Because though you may not see it now, the kingdom of heaven is something that should be treasured by us. Right. Because Jesus repeats himself six different times. And basically restates it over and over and over. And he's saying just how valuable this treasure is. And I hope we don't take that for granted. Right. And so, kind of closing this week, where's your heart? Because where your heart is is where your treasure's at. We've seen it, like you said, in all these parables about how important the kingdom of heaven and how it, how important it should be to us, but how important is it, it is it to you? Are you laying your treasures in heaven? Are you striving for that goal or are you producing fake fruit anything else if you go on a treasure hunt and you're searching for physical treasure unfortunately you're not going to find satisfaction but if you go on a treasure hunt looking for heaven you'll find something that's truly irreplaceable have a great week see you next week